You die. 
lights on. Good morning. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Scanning the QR code located on the front of the worship guide allows you to connect to all online information about the church, the giving of tithes and offerings, along with our social media platforms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu item for first-time guests. At the Village Church, we believe in the giving of tithes and offerings, that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online, or you may mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, or after the service, you may drop your offering in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today, after worship, we'll have Sunday equipping classes for all ages, and at 1215, the Goodson Village Group will meet in the church house. This week, Wednesday, March 1st, there will be a TVC music open house in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. On Thursday the 2nd at 7 a.m., the Shipman Men's Group will meet at Just Love Coffee. And at 5 p.m., the Goodson's Men's Group will meet at the church house. Uh, Next Sunday, March 5th, we'll have worship service at 9.30, Sunday equipping classes for all ages at 11, and the Bricker Village Group will meet at 12.15 in the fellowship hall. Thank you all. These are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Good morning. <laughs> um, so most of most of you know, unless you're um, new to our little community here, um, that uh, most of you know that in September, from September to December. I was on sabbatical. <laughs> I can count on Amanda to be my uh, cheerleader. <laughs> like, thank you, Amanda. Um, but one of the things I know I haven't I haven't talked about that a lot unless you've asked me a question. But one of the things um, this just came to my mind. Um, what well, didn't? But in relation to this song, one of the things that the Lord I, I've I'm careful about saying the Lord said or did or put stuff on God that he didn't really do. But one of the things that I think that he really did um, minister to me about was the act of surrender and um, giving things to him. I I think he had already been planting seeds, directly planting seeds in my mind, um, particularly in reference to who he is and who I'm not. There are lots of things. Um, that I am just not designed to carry. But our God is, um, he's everywhere, he's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful, which means he can handle the stuff. 
And so that means we need to stop gripping the stuff and stop trying to fix everything and be everywhere and do all the things and give it to him. Um, and so that's one of the things I believe that the Lord continues to work and, and impress into my soul is the need to surrender. Surrender my day to him, surrender my marriage, surrender my parenting, surrender my ministry to him because he is the one that can do the things. He's the one that can handle the crazy. Surrender my worship to him, the way I live my life, not just the, the singing. Like we think about worship just in here at singing, but worship is the way that we live as believers. To surrender the things, the things that make me crazy, the things that I go, oh my gosh, really? I'm grateful when the Spirit says, reminds me, give it, give it to him and leave it there. And trust him if I believe that he holds all things together. If I believe that he's the creator of the universe, if I believe that I'm beloved daughter of the Most High, then I can trust that he will take care of the things and I can surrender all. And I don't say that lightly, y'all. I think you guys know I'm really particular about what I stand, get up here and say. But I'm not, I don't mean that lightly and flippantly or like I have it all together because he is working that thing in me. But we have got to learn or we've got to practice surrender. And so I encourage you this morning as we sing this song. It's really interesting because when I grew up, this song was always like an altar call type song. And maybe you guys experienced that. But for me, it's not just that. It's also like, because I need to surrender all the time. So it's also can be in the way that we're using it now as a song of preparation. So I, you may have, I don't know what you got going on. You may have some things that you need to surrender to the Lord this morning to cast at his feet. He cares. Cast your cares on him because he cares. So I encourage you to sing this with me, not just for the sake of singing it, but as a prayer a commitment to the Lord that this day, now tomorrow morning you probably have to wake up and do it all over again. Or before you walk out of here, you may have to do it again. But in this moment, we surrender all. Amen.
if you would, please stand if you're able for our call to worship. It's from Joel chapter 3, verses 16 through 17a. Please join with me where it says, people and all. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. Amen. Oh, 
He's our healer, our God. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is Hosea 8, 1 through 14. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law, to me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurred the good, the enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no head. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up, and the king and princes shall soon rise because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars from sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now we will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And Judah has multiplied forfeited cities, so I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. This is the word of the Lord. morning everyone you guys look beautiful this morning <laughs> bless your heart you're so sweet uh now it's time where we have the prayer of praise and um we have a lot to be thankful about last week i was out because i had to go and make sure somebody partied well yeah i partied uh i partied because i have a friend well my sister-in-law has stage four cancer pancreatic cancer that is and my thing is, I wanted to get in front of it to make sure she can remember the good times of us having a good time before she got on her chemo and all the other stuff that comes with that. But even going through that, I got to see how God is gracious to everyone else, including myself, that people are always going through something much greater, something much, much larger than we can ever imagine. But we have a lot to be thankful for because we have a God that has always been there with us, and he'll be there with us until the very, very, very end. And he's faithful, and I've gotten great representation of people who've gone through cancer and how God has walked with them. 
he's talked with him in the cool of the mornings. Uh, my, one, of my, one of our very own Larry, uh, he lived, and he lived as he died, going to see his master. This is one of the things he told me. I, talk, I think I talked about him the day he re, that he, uh, we had a celebration. He said, I'm not here to negotiate with God. I've lived my life. He said, I'm glad that I've served my master to my very end. That stuff spurs me along more than anything. There's a testimony that if you're going through something, that God is faithful to the very end. So that's my prayer. Pray. So let's pray and thank the Lord for how good he really is to us. Lord, thank you so good, so good, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for you being so mighty. Thank you for being so gracious. Thank you that you're able to calm our hearts when we can't calm ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that only you can give. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. Thank you, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit that resides within and speaks with to us. Even when we can't even make the right prayer or don't even have the words to say how good you really are. Your words that your Holy Spirit speaks inside of us and it helps pray on our behalf. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us a heart, Lord, for you. Thank you, Lord God, for you causing the sun to rise for our crops. Thank you, Lord, for you causing it to rain for our crops. And anything that you do, Lord, you're already doing it in preparation for our return. But, Lord, we live abundant life because we live in you. And we're thankful, Lord. We thank you that the same Holy Spirit that you used to resurrect yourself back into the heavens, we have that Holy Spirit. We're not weak-willed Christians. We can live a mighty life in you. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord God, as, as we fall short, you remain perfect. You remain excellent. You remain pure. You remain just. You remain. There's nothing on this earth, Lord, that ever extends beyond your fingertips that we're not going to encounter. So we thank you, Lord, that you love us more than we love our own self, even though I'm selfish. You love me more. So, Lord, I pray for the person who's going through it right now, that they will be able to see you and see your hand in their life. Whatever that hardship, if it's lack of funding, whatever resources lacking, if it's up, if kids that are not seeing things through the same lens as their parents, Lord, maybe you reach out right then and right there. But, Lord, we thank you, Lord God, that you're in total control. And, and we thank you, Lord God, that you are with us. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the leadership. We thank you for the people that you're calling, Lord, to help us hold up the bloodstained banner. We thank you, Lord God. You say the devil in hell will not prevail against your church. We thank you. As the world walks so they have no hope, we don't have to walk in the same manner. We have hope. We have future. We have a refuge. We have a strong tower. We have a battle axe. We have a mighty warrior on our side. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we fail to just lift up our eyes to the one who has it all and does it all. But I'm thanking Lord God that you will bring us to our knees so we have to look up. Because that's a demonstration of your love as you spank your children. I often tell my kids sometimes, I'm not the only, you're not the only one who's held accountable to an adult. I'm held accountable to God, my Lord, my ruler, my redeemer. So, Lord, I thank you so much for being there for us and all these things you ask in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the tough and the good part. 
we get to confess our sin. And we all go through it. And I think I go through it in, all the time when I'm not trusting God to do what only he can do, which is a sin. I have gained so much weight, and he's proven himself faithful and more than faithful that you almost got to go on a diet. He's so good. God is so good. Then I dealt with some mechanical issues that I'm dealing with. So please forgive me. I tried to fix them, but I realized I'm not God, which is another one of my big problems. I want to be God. Now we're going to have our confession of sin. It's coming from Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. Land rebelled. No, and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules. Let us reflect. As we know, our God is good. And he always gives us a way of escape when we fall into sin. So the surest of pardon comes from Daniel chapter 9, 18, verses 18 and 19. For we do not present ourselves, I'm sorry, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. are shaking for our sucar undertaking Lord and Savior help us blow the world from the rebelling around thy church in pride is swelling with thy word Madness quelling, Lord and Savior, help us by thy birth, thy cross and passion, by thy tears of deep compassion. 
Yes, Father, I wanted to start out by asking you to forgive us for the ways in which we just, as a church, we can just coast along in our giftedness and resources, having the right vision statement, knowing the right people. We can just get caught up in doing church that we forget you. Because church work can be busy. Just one more thing we add to our schedule throughout the week. Small group, Bible study, music practice, sermon prep, session meetings, leadership meetings. The list goes on and on and on. In the midst of all the doing, we forget to be. We forget to be beloved sons and daughters of the king. Because we're so focused on performance and productivity. So I guess my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will will break through all of our doing so that at some point in our week we can find time to truly rest. That he will break through so much of our performance and productivity that we can sit still and actually commune with you through prayer and, and through the word and even through fasting. 
that through the busyness of life, we forget. Through the ups and downs of life, we, we forget, Lord. We forget that you want to know us, and you want us to know you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that those of us who are here, who have made a profession of faith in Christ, that you will give us hearts that that want to commune with him. Not just to have knowledge so we can debate, so we can argue, but so we can fellowship and fall more in love with the Savior who died for all of our sins. Pray that you will help us to live lives of faith and repentance. That's what you call us to do. Faith and repentance. To believe and to repent when we fall short. Help our unbelief is a prayer. And as a church, I pray for our leaders, for our staff and our officers and our lay leaders that 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 we will love you more than we love ministry. That we'll love you more. I pray that you forgive us for how we build our own little kingdom. There's only one kingdom, and in that kingdom, there's only one king. I pray that you will smash our little kingdom and help us to value and to appreciate uh, the, the kingdom that we do have that's greater than any kingdom that we can build ourselves, that's greater than any kingdom on the face of this earth. It's the one that you rule over. Lord, help us to see that our kingdoms are their sandcastles that cannot weather the storm, but your kingdom can. It would never be shaken. I pray you help us to live in humility as leaders. I pray for the session meeting this afternoon that you are blessed and and give us insight and wisdom as we pray over the church and talk about the business of the church. I pray that you will bless our outreach efforts and help us to be more outwardly facing in our communities and in the places that we live. Give us a, a heart and a passion for evangelism. That the spirit, you have to do these things. There's tons of people in Huntsville who don't know you. They go to church because that's what we do in the South. There's tons who still don't know Jesus out there. You will have to work that in us. I pray for our parents who sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes it's a battle just to get here. You feel like you've been in World War III just to get to church on Sunday. Give them the patience and the energy and the stamina that they need. I pray for our kids and our teens who who sometimes get frustrated with their parents. Give them patience. Give them humility. Help them to know they have not lived life long enough. They don't know everything. And give our parents as we of teens. I I got two teens, and I'm telling you, it is hard and it's tiring. Help us to understand and help us to have empathy for them. Growing up as a teen now is very different when I grew up. It's very, the world is different now. Help us to be able to empathize with our teens. I pray, Lord, for those in our church who are, who have, who are dating and have relationships, Lord. Give them wisdom in those relationships. 
I pray for those in our congregation who may have conflict with one another. Help them to resolve that conflict in a healthy way. And help us as a church to embrace conflict. You can't be in relationship with people and not have conflict. It's going to happen. But as Christians, we can deal with it in ways that honors Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will make our community more diverse, that you will bring more diversity to our church. Bless those outreach efforts, that you will do it. And I pray also that you will help us to love the actual people in this community more than we love our ideal of Christian community. Because there are no perfect ideas. We are actually broken people coming together. And I pray that each of us will learn what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves on Sunday mornings, loving our neighbor as ourselves on social media, loving our neighbors as ourselves in our own homes, loving our neighbors as ourselves on our jobs, when we're in traffic, when we're in a grocery store, when we're in Walmart. Real life, Lord. real life. And Lord, we bring these things to you because we, we, we don't have it all together. We bring these things to you because we are utterly dependent upon you. And I know on Sunday mornings it's easy to come in here and just do this thing. It's easy to come in here and, and with a smile on our face and pretend like everything's great. Sometimes, Lord, we, we just need to stop and finally tell the truth. Like, I'm tired, and I really don't want to be here, but I'm here. And you can work with that. You can. You, you want us to be transparent with you. We don't have to fake it. Like, you already know. You already know. But it, it helps the relationship that, that we can be transparent with a holy God, and he won't say, get out of my face. Because he's already poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. So that when we come, with all of our brokenness, with all of our mistakes, he says, hello, beloved. What's taking you so long to come and sit in my lap? I'm always here as your dad. And I know for some of us that fatherhood of God may be a pain in our hearts because we have um, broken relationships with our earthly fathers. And, and for those of us who are here and we have those broken relationships with our earthly fathers, that you will bring healing and resurrection to that. You are not our earthly father. For better or worse, you are good all the time. And so as we prepare for the preaching of the word, prepare our hearts, Lord. In Christ, and then I pray. Amen. Saints, if you have your Bible, please open your Bible or Bible app to Hosea chapter 7. We are going to continue working through Hosea chapter 7, verse 3, all the way through chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 14. That's Hosea chapter 3 through Hosea chapter 8, verse 14. The sermon title is Love Isn't Blind, Part 2. Love 
isn't blind part two. The big idea is the same from last week's sermon, and it's this. God's love for his people isn't blind. God's love for his people isn't blind. I'm going to now ask the Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Please join me. Spirit, I make this a short prayer. You are the one who leads us to all truth, and that's all I need to say. Will you do that today? Amen. In Hosea chapter 7, verse 3, all the way through chapter 8, verse 14, the Lord is a concerned father who refuses to turn a a blind eye to the sins of his sons and daughters in in Israel. He, He sees all of their idolatry and their covenant unfaithfulness. As one commentator says, God's concern is that of a father for, for a child who refuses to be helped. Like I said last week, Israel, the teenagers who think they know it all, who think they don't need help from the adults in their life, but, but they're wrong. They're, they're too smart for their own good. You see, the Lord God, he tries to tell them. He tries to warn them about everything that that he sees happening among them. And last week we, we saw that we saw that God's love isn't blind to the to the broken internal issues within Israel. But this week we're going to see that his love isn't blind to all of Israel's external affairs either. The internal and the external. And like the internal, their external affairs are also stained by covenant unfaithfulness to the Lord their God. The Lord uses metaphors and similes to communicate what he sees in Israel's external affairs. And a professor at the University of Nigeria, in an article that he wrote, he says, Hosea chooses appropriate images to depict not only Israel's conduct in international relations, especially in foreign politics and policies, but also their status among the nations. Do y'all know what the good professor's words mean? They mean Israel's conduct in international relations is broken. They mean It means that Israel's status amongst the surrounding nations of the ancient Near East is broken. And the Lord God isn't blind to Israel's broken diplomacy and trying to make foreign allies. He's not blind to that. So he uses, in the the first metaphor, he uses food and and eating images to show Israel's failed political actions among the nations. Look at verse 8 of chapter 7. Ephraim is another name for Israel. So Ephraim mixes himself with the people, with the peoples. And Ephraim is a cake not turned. A cake not turned. Israel is rubbing elbows with foreign nations. They're entangling themselves with nations that are greater and more powerful than them. Let me put it this way. Israel enters the board game of risk without having the knowledge and skills to play with. 
if you play risk and you don't know what you're doing, it's not going to end well for you. So they're wet behind the ears. And they're out of their league and don't even know it. But the Lord God, he knows it. He sees clearly what Israel can't see. He says, Israel is a cake not turned, like a piece of uh, uh, flatbread that's cooked on one side and not cooked on the other side. Israel is half-baked when it comes to their foreign policies and politics. Do you know what it means to be half-baked? It means not complete. Poorly planned and poorly prepared. It means lacking the mature judgment and experience. You're half-baked when you don't fully think through the decisions you make in life. It's making uninformed decisions simply because it sounds like a good idea. Israel, mixing it up with foreign nations like Egypt and Assyria, sounds like a good idea on paper. But they haven't brought through the process properly. They haven't weighed the dangers and the consequences of mixing it up with nations who don't worship Yahweh Elohim. Israel doesn't know what they're doing. What about us? Individually and corporately, do we know what we're doing? Like Israel, Christians in America, we mix it up with people as well. And like Israel, we can get in over our heads. Think about it, saints. We mix it up with American politics and government. We do. We mix it up with political parties. We mix it up with social movements and causes. We mix it up with humanitarian issues and special interest groups. Some of them are great. We mix it up with social clubs and sports teams. The list goes on and on and on. But have we counted the cost of mixing it up with movements and organizations that don't worship Jesus? Have we weighed the consequences and the dangers? Please know, saints, that the church is not called to completely isolate itself from the world. That's not what we're called to. Nor are we called to completely integrate into the world. Israel mixing with the nations without boundaries causes them to start looking like the nations. When you read through all the Old Testament, they start looking like those nations instead of being a light of Yahweh Elohim to those nations. What about what does this mean for us in 2023? If you have saving faith in Jesus today, you're to be in America, but not of America. You're to be in America, but not of America. You're to be in the culture, but not of the culture. You're to engage without completely mixing it up to the point where your public witness for Jesus is compromised. Individually and corporately, we have to be wise in what and whom we align ourselves with in America. Just because you have a seat at the table doesn't mean you fully know what's going on. Mixing it up with powerful, resource, and important people doesn't mean they see you as their equal. Be mindful of the company you keep. Be mindful of the tables you sit at. Don't be half-baked in the people and social movements and public causes and government policies you support. You better start asking questions. 
be alert. Keep in mind, everything that sounds like a good idea is not a good idea. It's not. Like Israel mixing it up with Egypt and Assyria, as Charles Barkley would say, that's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. But Israel doesn't see it, but God does. Israel is blind, but he isn't. He sees Israel's lack of experience and vulnerability and ignorance and danger. The worst thing we can do as a church is have too much trust in ourselves. When you look at another church and they fall and you say, well, that won't happen here, that's stupid thing to say. It can happen here. He knows that Israel is out of the league when it comes to politics on the world stage. Let me put it this way. Israel is playing checkers. The other nations are playing chess. Who's going to win that game? And sometimes that's how we engage the culture. We playing checkers, they playing chess. Well, how, what does it mean to play checkers? Sometimes when you say just preach the gospel, that's, che- that's checkers. But the gospel means more than that. That's, that's checkers. You got to flesh that out a little more. Flesh that out a little more. What do you mean by just preach the gospel? You need, you need to put some meat on that. That's chess. That's strategy. Israel lacks self-awareness to their blind spots. They're not as smart as they think. And they foolishly go to these foreign nations seeking allies. They're half-baked, they're clueless, and they're blind, and they're exposed. And guess what, TVC Saints? These other nations know it. They know it. Think about it. Israel, they're at the table. They're mixing it up with Egypt and Assyria. And however, they're not at the table as guests. They're the food. And don't even know it. Yeah, come on in. They don't even know they already had a meeting before they got there. That's chess. In verse 9, the Lord compares Israel to a man who ages poorly and who is drained of his vitality. Look at verse 9. The Lord says, strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him, and he knows it not. The kingdom is dying, but they know it not. Foreign nations are sucking the life out of Israel, but they know it not. The kingdom is in trouble, but they know it not. Let me put it this way. Political parties deceive the church, but we know it not. Yahweh is the only one who can truly help Israel, but she knows it not. Israel has some serious blind spots, but know it not. The church in our country has blind spots. But do we know it? We all have blind spots. No matter the labels we place in front of our Christianity. We all can be half-baked in how we engage our society. Liberal and progressive Christianity has blind spots. Conservative and traditional Christianity has blind spots. Every Christian denomination Ministry, nonprofit in America has blind spots. Every local church has blind spots. 
The village church has blind spots. We don't always know how to fully engage our country for Christ. For example, for some, Christianity equals expert on every single social and political issue in our country. We see it, we do it. When something happens in our country, opinions from every corner of Christianity are let loose. That's a blind spot. We're not as smart as we think. I can't speak into every issue as a pastor because I'm not trained in those issues. We don't know everything. We don't always know what we're talking about. In the movie Glass Onion, Detective Blunt says, it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought and speaking the truth. And sometimes that's what the church does when it comes to social issues and other issues in our country. We speak without thought and claim it as true. Because we don't know everything. Nor are we skilled to speak into everything. We can give wisdom. We can give insight. But we come off as experts. Listen, I can go to YouTube and Google search stuff. I have a question for y'all. Who or what are you mixing it up with? Who or what are you mixing it up with in our country that's pulling you away from trusting Jesus and his people? Notice I put his people on there too. Don't miss that point. Chew on it. Who or what are you mixing it up with in America that's pulling you away from trusting Jesus? In his church. Can you feel the pull? Can you see it? Are you aware of it? God's aware. He's not blind to what or who is pulling you away from him. He sees it and then he laments. Did you, did you have, have you ever pictured that Jesus laments when he sees you trusting in things other than him? I bet, I bet you thought he's going to judge you. He laments. Before he brings discipline. That's a father. There's no father that enjoys discipline their kids. That's not right. So he laments what he sees taking place in Israel. Israel has turned from the Lord their God. No longer trusting him. Instead they run to powerful pagan nations for help and for security. Putting all, putting their trust in their foreign policies and politics, saying to themselves, our help is going to come from Egypt. Our help is going to come from Assyria. Our help is going to come from any nation who has the resources and the power to help us. And in response to the, to the, to the action, Hosea says, the pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet he do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. He's saying Israel's external issues among the nations is, is, is sinful in the eyes of the Lord God. And he condemns their foreign and, and uh, politics and policies. But Israel is stubborn. They refuse to listen to him, refuses to be helped. As one, uh, one seminary, another seminary professor says, Hosea 17 confirms that while Israel is on his way to demise, he is reluctant to seek God in return. 
Repentance would avert God's wrath, but Israel does not want to repent because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. In Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, the Lord says to them, Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we Israel know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. Israel doesn't know or see that the allies they seek are actually vultures and enemies who can't fully be trusted. But they still refuse to trust the Lord their God. They continue to be wise in their own eyes. Israel is doing what Proverbs 26.11 says when it comes to their foreign policies and politics. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Israel's pursuit of foreign allies is a repeated folly. They are returning to their vomit. Returning to their vomit. And the Lord compares Israel to a silly dove who easily falls into a trap because it lacks common sense. Look at verse 11 of chapter 7. Israel is like a dove, a silly, a dove, silly without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. The message Bible says Israel is bird-brained. Mindless and clueless. Bird brain and silly dove are metaphors for a person who lacks intelligence, understanding, reason, wit, and just basic common sense. He says Israel is gullible, easily deceived as they hop from nation to nation, trying to secure allies who will help them, who will protect them, who will make them feel secure, who will provide for them. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. When those nations fail them, they go to another nation. Israel's hopping because they want pagan nations to give them what only Yahweh Elohim can give. And we do the same. We do the same. We hop from one thing to the next, hoping that this thing in this world can give us what only Jesus can give us. We do it. At the end of the day, Israel wants these foreign nations to be their savior, not just their allies. They do. And that's the heart of the matter. The Lord says, Israel calls out to Egypt and then to Assyria. Think about this. Reflect on the words. They they won't call upon the Lord their God. They, they, they won't return to him with genuine confession and repentance. And neither will they seek him. He says in verse 7, none of them call upon me. Then in verse 10 he says, they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Instead, like silly doves, they call upon nations who don't know the Lord. They call upon these nations for provision, for help, for hope, for security, for protection. What about us? We live in a powerful, great nation that does not bow the knee to Jesus. Do I need to hold up the sign again? Please understand, the United States is not a Christian nation. There is no such thing on the face of the earth. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. Christian values don't make one a Christian. 
just because something's founded on Christian values, don't make it Christian. Being raised in cultural Christianity of the South, don't make you a Christian. There's only one thing that makes you a Christian. Saving faith in Jesus alone makes you a Christian. Cultural Christianity, Christian nationalism, that's not Christianity of the Bible. And to become a Christian, you have to confess that you are a sinner and confess that Jesus is just Lord and Savior. That's it. If nothing, if the, if the things that you are in line with have not done that, then you should assume they probably don't honor Jesus. And listen, there are probably some th- things that honor Jesus or say that honor Jesus you probably shouldn't align yourself with either. And then you have to repent and confess and ask Jesus for repentance. And finally, you submit and then you surrender your whole life to him. And that is you placing your trust and your dependency on Christ alone. That's what Israel is not doing. Dependency and trusting in Yahweh Elohim that he'll be faithful God. And it's so easy as, listen, I have to do a lot of repenting. Uh, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I love being a Christian. But you know what I love more? Being a Christian in America. Why is that, Pastor? Because I get to do this and I fear for my life. And then what I can end up doing is I can end up thinking American freedom or Christian freedom or Christian values or kingdom values. No, I have those just because I live here. Because if I live in another country, I won't have all this freedom. But does that mean God loves me less? No. And that's one of the dangers of, of the church in America. We mistake all of our American freedoms and rights as Christian freedom and rights. You only have those rights because you're a U.S. citizen. Because if you're a Christian in another land, you don't have all this stuff. So we need to repent of how we idolize this culture and our place in this culture. Our First and Second Amendment rights. We think those are kingdom amendments and rights. They're not. This country does not worship Jesus. And so you have to honestly repent of, do I love Jesus or do I only love him because I get to live, I get to be a Christian here? And that requires some soul searching. And some of us don't really want to go there. I say go there because the Spirit takes you to a deeper level of repentance. Deeper level of repentance. If you already have saving faith in Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. I'm going to have to come out of the coat now. Am I functioning as a silly dove in America? I can't answer that question for you. Am I looking for allies or am I really looking for false saviors? Who is your Assyria? Who is your Egypt? The Lord isn't blind to the ways we love false saviors. He sees it. He laments it. And he tells Israel, he even tries to prevent Israel. He says, as they go, I spread spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of heaven. I will discipline them according to the reports made to the congregation. The spreading of the net is God's attempt to prevent Israel from calling upon false saviors. 
It's his disciplinary action to correct his helpless people. But the action doesn't change him. They still go. They still press on into unfaithfulness. And another professor says, like birds, Israel still flees from the Lord to foreign nations in search of false security. How do we do this? How do we do this? Sometimes our greatest problem is unbelief. Not what the culture is doing to us. It's because we don't really believe what God says in his word is true. And if that's where we are, the spirit is calling you to just repent. Confess it and repent and ask the spirit to help your unbelief. See, Israel, they don't get what they seek from these nations. Instead, they weep what they sow. These false saviors end up becoming their oppressors, especially Assyria. Israel gets swallowed up. They get lost. They become helpless. They become useless vessels amongst the other nations. Israel plays with fire, and in the end, they get seriously burned. This is what God tells them in Hosea seven verses, Hosea 8, verses 7 through 10. He says, For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. If it, if it, it yields no flower, if it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up already amongst the nations as a useless vessel. For they go up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they have power allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the kings and princes shall soon toss them, turn and toss them. This gathering up, this tossing and turning, these are consequences from Israel's covenant unfaithfulness and their refusal to confess and repent. And he says, back in chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Hear God's emotion here. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled, rebelled against me. They have, I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the That's what he wants. He wants their hearts. Jesus wants your heart. Not your, just your lip service. He wants your heart. Because if he has your heart, he's going to have everything else in your life. What has the affections of your heart? And whatever that is, that's your Savior. And at the end of the day, that's your God. What is it? Who is it? What does all this mean? It means all of our American false saviors would never be able to give us the freedom, the peace, the security, the significance we desire for them to give us. Never. It also means that this country we never, ever, 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 ever bow the knee to Jesus. Eventually, when we're no longer youthful in the political scale, we're going to get tossed to the wind. You need to know that. You've been used. 
by those in power to get what they want. When they no longer need us, we become useless. Who you trust in? It means we can become useless vessels in America. When we do that, we, we compromise our Christian identity. It means none of us are beyond having blind spots. It, none of us are beyond being half-baked. Those are questions you have to ask yourself. If you're going to engage in this culture as a, as, as a corporate body or as individual Christians, you have to be aware of your blind spots. If you're not aware, ask the Spirit. Now, you need to, you need to mean it because he's going to show you. And when he shows it to you, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It means God the Father, he wants you to confess and acknowledge your blind spots. He wants you to confess and, and acknowledge your false saviors. He wants you to acknowledge the ways in which we compromise the faith. And then he wants us to repent. That's it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get on the cross with Jesus. Repent. 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 And sometimes that takes us asking the Holy Spirit to give us humility so that we can see the things that we are blind to. Take a look at this table before you. I'd like to say thank you to Nathan Neely because he built this nice communion table for us. Yep. Yep. I no longer have to think I'm a hobbit. I'm a full-size man now. Thank you. This table is a reminder that Jesus died for all the sins that we commit that breaks our covenant relationship, that breaks fellowship with God. It's a reminder that God no longer holds those sins against us. Please know that. This table reminds us of all the ways we fall short, and it also reminds us that God no longer holds those ways against us because the punishment was dealt to Christ on the cross. This table is a reminder that, that you are not alone in your struggles with sin. Please, you're going to struggle with sin for the rest of your life. You're never going to get to this on this side of heaven. You're never going to arrive. You're never going to graduate out of the gospel. Never going to graduate from living by faith and repentance. That happens when you die and go to glory. That's when your struggle with sin and would be over. This table is a reminder that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and you can call upon Him for help to strengthen you. In fact, He's the one who uses these common elements to provide spiritual nourishment to God's people. Do you believe as a Christian that when you partake of these elements, the Spirit is using those elements to give you the spiritual nourishment that you need? Do you believe that? If you don't, ask Him to help your unbelief. Ask Him to help you believe. That same power, saints, that same power that, that came at Pentecost is the same power that lives in each and every one of you. Has the Spirit stopped? Has he lost power? Has, has, will he ever lose power? No. That same power is there, living in the supernatural. And if you have saving faith in Jesus, 
And he invites you to partake of this meal with the family here. Friends and neighbors, if you don't profess faith in Christ, thank you for being here. And if you have questions about what it means to um, have faith in Christ, please see me at the end of the service. Adults, we ask that the kids be with you abstain from the elements until they have been invited to the table um, by the church that you are a member of. Now kind of have the attention of all the TVC kids. If you are a TVC kid, please give Pastor Alex your attention. You're not in trouble. I just want to talk to you for a minute. I, need, I want you to real, know that I'm your pastor too, not, that the, not just the pastor of the adults. And as your pastor, it's my prayer that each and every one of you will come to saving faith and you will be able to partake of this meal with your church family. And if you have questions about the Lord's Supper and why we do it, you can ask Pastor Alex a question. You can have your parents give me a call. And I'll talk with you about it because I want you to know I'm your pastor, too. So you can reach out to me. I won't bite. I'll listen. I might not have all the answers, but I do my best to explain to you why we do what we do when we have communion. Just call upon me. So let's go to the Lord now so I can ask him to bless the elements. Holy Spirit, these elements do not turn into the body and blood of Christ. But you use them, as I said earlier, to provide spiritual nourishment to Jesus' people. And we don't we need it. I need it. Everyone here needs it. Because we don't provide spiritual nourishment to ourselves, you're doing it. And so I pray that you will use these elements. Give us what we need. You know the things we're dealing with. You know our stress. You know our worries. You know the conflicts that are in our heart. You know all these things. You're not surprised by them either. And so I just pray that you will meet each of us where we need you to meet us and bring resurrection to the part of our life that needs resurrection. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now if you would like the prepackaged uh, elements, please let the elders know. They'll, they have those available too.
Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. I thank you also for the season that we're getting ready to head into the Easter season. And again, Spirit, I pray that the meal that we just received, that you would give us the nourishment that we need as we head back out into the world um, to live in ways that brings honor to our Lord and Savior. It is in, in, in Christ's wonderful name I pray. Amen. Saints, will you please stand as we close our service? Years I spent in vanity and pride. Knowing not it was for me, he died and Calvary. Mercy there, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me.
you so much for joining us. I will also encourage you to scan the QR code on the front of the Russian guide to fill out our, uh, our guest form. Also, we have Sunday equipment classes uh, right after the service. The youth would be in the youth room. The adults would meet here uh, in the sanctuary for sermon discussion. And the village kids would be in the, the annex. Also, next Sunday, we will start our Easter sermon series called Resurrection Advocates. So please pray for my sermon prep for that. And we'll also begin our resurrection stories next week as well. So here's God's uh, benediction to his beloved saints. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in all hope. And all God's people said, amen. Please greet one another, saints.